0: We had an amazing pump in in Bitcoin this week, mainly Bitcoin. You can see that Bitcoin's up above the 200 week moving average and actually through that trend line, when you look at it on a a weekly basis, and you can see that the dominance is also pumping. So whereas some of the altcoins are running, it's actually mainly, mainly, mainly Bitcoin that's pumping. Now, the big question is whether people are bullish about this pump or whether this is not the pump that's gonna take us over the 30,000. And probably even more important, what people are asking is, is this just Bitcoin or is this going to get to the altcoin? So listen, I've got a very, very, very special weekend show for you here on Banter Plus. I've got Ben Cowan. We've got to talk to Ben Cowan because it is, um, it's is—it's a, a, a long time since we spoke to him. Actually, not so long since we spoke to him. But the last time we spoke to him, he came with amazing predictions. And actually, most of the predictions that he came up with actually came right. So we're going to get Ben on the show today. We're going to ask him about whether what his predictions are going forward, whether he thinks that this Bitcoin pump is going to break the 30,000, whether this is the real pump, and then we're going to talk about altcoins. So it's going to be a big show today, a special bonus weekend show for you guys here on Banter because we didn't do a banter yesterday. Let's do this, guys. All righty. We are back. Massive show, weekend show. Guys, I see you all in the chat. Smash the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed to Banter Plus. Let's try and get Banter Plus' subscribers up to 100,000. We can only do it, of course, if you guys subscribe. Go. There's a link below. Hit subscribe. Let's go. Also, remember that since we didn't do a banter yesterday, this is the show that is brought to you by our best sponsors, which are, of course, NordVPN. I keep saying to you guys, if you're in crypto and you don't have a VPN, you are playing with fire because... Number one, you are revealing exactly where you are surfing from. You see, I don't have a VPN on today, and it knows exactly where I'm from, Western Cape. It's got the IP address, and it is literally opening the door for hackers uh, who want to protect my crypto. No. This week in crypto, we had a the Phantom Foundation that came out and said that they were actually hacked. Uh, for $550,000 in Phantom Foundation funds. Later, they came out and said it actually belonged to an employee. But the fact is that if they had a VPN and if they had Nord threat protection, it would have protected them from those threats and they would have been able to save those funds. And now listen, if you're in crypto and you've got like, I don't know, a couple of thousand dollars in crypto, is it worth spending six or $7 a month to actually protect them while at the same time promoting the channel? Just answer the question. Yes or no? Let me know in the chat. Obviously, it's worth it. So just do me a favor, don't delay, don't wait until something actually happens. Go and sign up today. Protect your crypto, uh, uh, pr- uh, help us in this channel. Help us bring you more amazing content from our amazing sponsors. And at the same time, make sure that, you're on, that you guys are safe while you're surfing and you're surfing anonymously. Anyway, without any further ado, let's get to the man of the moment. Let's get Ben onto the channel. We haven't, uh, we, we spoke to Ben uh, quite recently. He had a whole lot of predictions. So listen, this is what he had to say about altcoins and specifically around ETH BTC and the ETH BTC pair. Now notice what the price of the ETH BTC pair is, 0, 0,6290. Let's listen to what he had to say.
1: Ether Bitcoin pair, not unlike what we saw last cycle, you know, where you, you sort of get just a massive distribution phase and you, you sort of get your initial pump up, right? Your initial pump up, you sort of sell it off and then you go into your distribution phase and and I think that, that this is where we are right now, where there's a good chance here that the Ether-Bitcoin pair is going to break to the downside. If you were to go look at… at so he said it was going to again, break to the
0: downside. And I remember that it was at 0, 0,629. Let's just see where it is today. 0,5466. 6. So he called that one spot on. And he called a whole lot of other things spot on. So let's get Ben on the show. Ben, how are you, my friend?
1: Pretty good, how
0: about you? Very good, thank you. So the last time you came on the show, you called uh, the ETH BTC pair. Let me just quickly switch to my screen. You it was at zero six two. You called it down. Now it's at zero five four. Is the end in sight? Is there any any chance this thing starts to turn, or is this bleed just carry on at in, in ad infinitum? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it's a great question, right? Because just because I was right then doesn't mean I'll continue to be right. Eventually the markets will go against what we maybe think. But there's always a chance that it could just be sort of forming a low back to where it was back last summer. But I think the more likely outcome is that it, it continues to slowly bleed. Now that doesn't mean that it can't bounce back up ever. It doesn't mean that it can't go back up to like 0.58 or something. But my expectation is that it will continue to bleed uh, through the end of the year, I mean, pre-having years are not are, are notorious to see the ether, bitcoin valuation drop, and we saw it drop last cycle in the pre halving year for bitcoin, and we're seeing the very you know very similar thing play out this time. So my expectation is that. My target on the Ether Bitcoin valuation, it has been for a long time. It has been the 0.03 to 0.04 range, right? 0.03 so
0: I, to 0.04. So you're saying there's still 50% downside from here, basically. Well, 30% downside from here.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's that's assuming that it it kind of plays out like last cycle. Remember last cycle, it, it was just a, a massive distribution phase. Uh, I don't know if I can show my screen, but- Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. So so last cycle, like if you look at let's look at like monthly Ashi candles on the Ethereum Bitcoin pair, you'll see we just had this massive double distribution phase, right, where we're seeing the same thing play out. What's interesting is the the, the collapse bottomed out in sort of where that first distribution phase sort of where it found like it's um, where, where it basically spent a few months. Going sideways, right? So if you were to assume that that's equivalent to this phase over here, then that gets you down to that 0.03 to 0.04 range. I think that is the most likely scenario, Ran, and 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 I, I think that this collapse, if it happens, I think it takes the altcoin market with it, right? And when we've seen how how lackluster the altcoin market has been, I, I think Ethereum, the the Ether Bitcoin valuation. And the, the collapse of it is weighing heavily on the altcoin market.
0: Let me ask you a question. Um, how do you see the ETH Bitcoin pair in the next like five years to 10 years? I'm just interested to get your long term view on ETH BTC. Um, do you think that ETH grows relative to BTC on a five or 10 year time horizon? I'm trying to get a, a view for them, how you see the macro of crypto. It's
1: a great question. Um, so there's two ways to look at macro ETH BTC the the more optimistic way is to point out the fact that it has been putting in higher lows really ever since inception the other the bearish way to look at it is to to also point out well it's also been putting in lower highs since 2017 right and and really since ju- since June of 2017 so you know when people say that eth bitcoin is in a macro uptrend i'm like well it depends on what your reference point is it's not in an uptrend for the people that that traded it you know, back, you know, traded their Bitcoin for ETH back over here in the summer of 2017. And, you know, back over there, it topped out at 0.15, and then it topped out at 0.12. And then this cycle, it was 0.088 and then at 0.085. To me, I, I see a series of lower highs, but I also see a series of higher lows. So my, my expectation is that is as I'm what I what I will likely do is I will likely flip neutral. In the 0.03 to 0.04 range and the reason why i say that is because there's two ways that we could look at this and and i think instead of looking at the ethereum bitcoin price valuation we should actually look at the ethereum bitcoin market cap valuation and if you look at the ethereum market cap with respect to bitcoin market cap you could make the case that it's an oscillator right and that it goes to the top of the range occasionally and then occasionally it goes to the bottom of the range. Now, right now, I think that it's sort of in route to lower valuations against Bitcoin. You can see this actually very clearly in the Ethereum dominance chart. You know, you know the Bitcoin dominance chart, everyone loves to point out the lower highs, right? Lower highs, Bitcoin dominance. And I, I like to say, yes, that's true. But we also see higher lows. I think Ethereum dominance could be following Bitcoin dominance, where it's putting in lower highs. But it's also potentially putting in higher lows, meaning we could see the Ethereum dominance down near nine to ten percent uh, at some point in the not so distant future. So when it comes to specifically the Ether Bitcoin pair, what I I think there's two cases to be made. Okay, the one one sort of thing that is a little concerning is you know there's been a lot of hype around the merge, right? And, and yes. a lot of people hype, you know, were really excited. Look at this; it's been lower highs and lower lows ever since the merge, right? So that argument for now is out the window. It doesn't mean that that proof of stake can't be successful. It just we're in we're in monetary. We're in a period of monetary policy where risky assets just don't do that well. Right. Mm. And the other thing to consider, and I'll, I'll get to your question, I will provide a very specific answer to it. But just to sort of lay the groundwork for it, you can see that the Ethereum Bitcoin valuation was sort of holding these prior lows. Right. And then now it's sort of broken down below. What also happened when this broke down below is the Ethereum supply has started to go back up, right? It was deflationary, but now we can see over, say, like a 30 day time period, the supply of ETH has gone up by about 37,000, right? So we've, we've seen it go from the market potentially pricing in a deflationary Ethereum where it was slowly going down against Bitcoin. Now it's back to being pricing in at least a potential inflationary ethereum at least until we get back to looser monetary policy and people want to speculate in crypto again. Now that Ethereum is inflationary again, you can see that it's starting to collapse on its Bitcoin pair because that mm. narrative can no longer be told. So the way I look at this chart is I, I can I can look at it in two different ways. The first way is to consider that the macro higher low pattern is still relevant, even if it leads to lower highs. So like a lot of times people talk about like logarithmic regression to sort of model out what's going on in the cryptoverse. And if you were to look at like a curve here, there is a case to be made that the Ethereum Bitcoin valuation is, is sort of on this logarithmic regression growth curve, where, you know, initially it's at like 0.002 and then at 0.008. And then, you know, over here at like 0.02. And then maybe it's over here at 0.03, 0.04. Right, so there's a case to be made that it's it's sort of just returning back to where it normally returns before it can actually muster up enough courage to actually go in another bull run. I think that that is the most optimistic scenario where it's putting in macro higher lows, and even if it is putting in macro higher lows, we could still argue that these lower highs are also relevant and perhaps it's sort of coming into wherever it's trying to slowly find whatever the fair value is. The the more bearish view on it, which is still not the worst view in the world, but the more bearish view is to just say that this is the initial capitalization of, of the Ethereum Bitcoin valuation. And that from that point, it becomes an oscillator where it basically just sort of fluctuates in a fairly well-defined range where it occasionally goes above it, occasionally goes below it. But more or less, it's in this range of like 0.02 to 0.08. So that's sort of the more bearish view. Is, Honestly, this, a, Rand, is this? I don't know which. What-
0: Underbreak. Ben, is this a ETH thing or is this a rest of the market thing? And the, what I'm asking is, is the, are you saying ETH is a proxy for altcoins? Or are you just saying that maybe ETH as an asset is now priced like this against Bitcoin and altcoins could actually break away from ETH and Bitcoin? Do you still use ETH as a proxy for altcoins?
1: I do. I, I do. I mean, I, I think I, I think Ethereum is a good index <laughs> for the altcoin market. And there's a reason we can actually quantify this. So like I don't know if I've ever showed the, this chart here. This is total three. So this is everything besides Bitcoin and Ethereum minus USDT and then divided by the Bitcoin market cap, right? Yeah. And, and when, you, when you look at this, you can see that the altcoin market tops out against Bitcoin when it reaches parity and it bottoms out when it reaches about 25%. But we can what we can do is we can change this. To, instead of dividing it by Bitcoin, we can divide it by ETH, Okay. And if we do that, what you'll see is that the altcoin market, really, I mean, ever since December 2018, the altcoin market is just putting in lower highs against Ethereum, right? Now, it has also put in sort of a a bottom here in January 2021, and it put in a bottom here in June of 2023. But I'm of the assumption that a lot of altcoins probably will just bleed back to Ethereum over the macro scale. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how a lot of altcoins are just macro bleeders against Ethereum the reason why i'm not focusing on all ether pairs right now is because while i think alts are bleeding to ethereum over the macro scale we're also in a phase right now where ethereum is bleeding to bitcoin right so you know while it's true that a lot of alts have underperformed eth eth is underperforming bitcoin so i think it makes the most sense to sort of focus on on bitcoin and the bitcoin dominance and where that's going
0: so quickly, yeah let's on that note let's maybe go to bitcoin we i mean we we've had a bit of a run um I want to talk to you a little bit about bitcoin because I, I see two things at play here. The first thing that I see at play here is you've got the halving cycle thesis. According to you the in, and and according to the halving cycle thesis, we probably could expect some kind of pullback before the halving and then and then obviously we we, we get a, we get into the into the run. I think you mentioned that we could go down 20 25% before we talk about that. When I look at the halving cycle data I, you know, someone who, who, who loves looking at, at data, I also acknowledge that the amount of data we have is very, very limited. So the first halving was the 50 to 25. Let's say that that halving doesn't really count because it was so long ago, there was practically no liquidity. Then you got the, the 25 to 12 and a half, which happened in 2016. And again, I remember the market in 2015 and 2016. I remember how hard it was for me to buy Bitcoin. I, was, I remember how much harder it was for me to buy altcoins and stuff like that. So that's not a real good data set. For me, the real data set that you have is 2019. That's like the only bit of data where I could say the market was liquid enough, there were enough exchanges, there were enough on-ramps and off-ramps. My question is, why are you so reliant on, you know, you look, you keep going back and you keep saying, it's, you know, the previous data, previous data, previous data, but I mean, you were around, so you know that the market cycle data, the, the type of market we were in was completely different. Do you think that with the market structure so different, you can actually base the the current period on the on on the historical
1: i mean i think it's a great question i i don't think you look at historical data to tell you what has to happen you just sort of look at it to tell you what what could be the likely outcome um you know if if we go into the halving and then we get a recession you know i think all bets are off right you can't you know bitcoin would likely not go on a parabolic bull run if the S&P 500 is dropping, you know, 30% or something, right? So we do have to consider that things could play out in a different manner, right? And I remember talking to you on a Twitter spaces not too long ago, um, you know, back when, you know, back when Bitcoin was sort of over here and you're sort of rightfully pointing out that Bitcoin has not taken out this low, right? It hasn't taken out this low. And as long as that hasn't happened. uh, I'm just putting
0: the the chart up there you go.
1: I think you mentioned in a Twitter space is that, you know, it hasn't taken out this long. and That's true, right? It, it hasn't. And as long as it hasn't happened, it's, it's not technically a downtrend, right? I mean, with a downtrend, you would need to see not only lower highs, which I mean, we could be forming a lower high, uh, we could also be forming a higher high, but you would need to see a lower high and a lower low. So until that is taken out, I think that, you know, you have to be open minded to, to, you know, to all sorts of outcomes. My main point is that what normally happens, right? And again, like we can we can think about how a lot of times people sort of fade what normally happens. But what normally happens with Bitcoin is that it, it tops out in halfway through the pre having year, right? It did it over here in, in 2019. Um, it did it in 2011 as well. We even topped out a little bit here in, in, um, in 2015 and, and then saw a 50% drop before rallying up into the end of the year. But in all cases... There was a significant drop before the halving, um, and what I, do you, I can't
0: what do you? What do you attribute that drop to? If a drop's happen three times, why do we get the drop? What is it that causes a drop? What's the, what's the, you know-
1: It's a great question. Yeah, like, it's a great question. And I mean, I, I don't fully know the answer, but what I, what I speculate is the answer, is that it's, it's about liquidity. So, have we noticed? You know, have you noticed how Bitcoin's been going up a lot recently? But has the altcoin market been following in kind? No, no,
0: right? because Bitcoin's so so- rubbing the altcoins. Basically, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing I'm seeing money from the market cap has remained exactly the same. Like the market cap, I'm looking at the market cap on my screen. It's like a trillion dollars or whatever the market cap is. That market cap, it's 1.1 trillion dollars. That market cap's been the same since
1: February. February <laughs> since February. And also, really, since August of 2022, we were at the same market cap. August of 2022, total market cap was at the same valuation that it is today. Look, so at, just, look at the last Bitcoin is this one, and this is Ethereum. So for me, it's a rotation of capital. So the reason why I think, and again, I could be wrong, right? But the reason why I think that the secondary drop happens, I call it a secondary scare, where Bitcoin you know, usually has a pretty significant sell-off. Sometime before the having, I mean, maybe it happens after the having. I don't know, but the reason it happens, in my opinion, is because liquidity is has gone right. So I think the reason Bitcoin's going up right now, it's not because new money is coming into the space, right? Because if new money were coming into the space, as you pointed out, wouldn't total market cap have gone higher, right? So total market cap has stayed the same. The reason Bitcoin's going up is because people are converting their altcoins to Bitcoin. That's why the Bitcoin dominance keeps going up, right? But the issue. Is that at some point, all that liquidity in the altcoin market has been bled dry, right? So there's just no liquidity left in altcoins to buy Bitcoin. And then when that happens, when Bitcoin goes into a risk-off environment again, and all this prior money that was sitting in the altcoin market that was there to sort of scoop up quote-unquote cheap Bitcoin, that money's gone. And then there's no longer a bid, right? And there's just no longer a bid for Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin drops, it crushes the altcoin market, And then after that, after that final drop by Bitcoin, over the next like three to six months, you would actually expect altcoins to outperform, right? But right now, we're still in the phase where alts are bleeding to Bitcoin. And at some point, we roll over and Bitcoin crushes the altcoin market. That just hasn't happened yet.
0: Okay. Um, Is there any, is there, I mean, we did speak about on a Twitter Spaces, but is there any possibility that one of the big reasons why Bitcoin starts to sell off is because miners who are a lot of the miners are listed companies on stock exchanges, you know that the biggest crime that you can commit on a stock exchange is halving your earnings, like if you have your earnings, you'll effectively halve your share price. If I understand correctly, what happens when the halving happens, the miners effectively start to get get about half of their rewards. And if they want to double their rewards, they need to double up on their miners, right? That's, I mean, that's very simplistic because I know the math is much more sophisticated than that. Is there a chance that between now and the halving, which is another 180 odd days, these miners are selling their Bitcoin to invest in infrastructure, therefore murdering the price?
1: No, it's possible. Uh, I mean, that's entirely possible. Like, I mean, look, they got to pay the bills. You know, I mean, it's a business, right? And, and a lot, I think a lot of people sort of that, that are, are following Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis, they sort of view Bitcoin as like a long-term investment where you where you just hold it and you hope the price goes up. But if you're a company, if you're like a business, your goal is not to just, you know, your goal is to make money, right? And you, you can't just perpetually take on debt forever, right? So you have to pay your bills and they have to sell Bitcoin at certain times. But it's not just them. It's also, you know, I mean, just, at, you know, normal people, right? Like there are people that have spent the last two years buying crypto, right? Whether it's Bitcoin, altcoins, whatever. And they get to the point where they need to, they need to pay for something, right? They need mm-hmm. to buy a house. They need to do something with it. And they're forced to sell. The reason why Bitcoin goes down in, say, like a secondary drop, a secondary scare, it's not because people that like... It's not like necessarily people like you and me that are like panic selling their Bitcoin, right? It's because the people that don't want to sell and that have been very bullish on it, they, can't, they just can't wait any longer for it to go up. They have to pay the bills, and then they have to sell. Um, and I think that, that is, is, is also a chance. And, and by the way, if, if a recession happens, which who knows? I mean, who knows if it's going to happen or not? But if that happens and people get laid off, and they have to figure out how to pay their bills, and they're even more likely... To sell off risk assets. So, I mean, I've said, I've said for the last what year and a half that if you're going to be in, in crypto, Bitcoin is where you want to be because the altcoins are going to bleed back to it. But it doesn't mean that a Bitcoin's immune to dropping itself.
0: Well, let's quickly just, I want to talk about recession, but before we get there, just let's quickly look at Bitcoin dominance. So last time you came on here, we were just under 50, we're at 49 odd. Now we're at 52.35. We've broken that, that uh, resistance area that you can see over there. Where to from here? Like where, when, when does this train stop?
1: So I I would guess it probably stops around 60%. Um and I I can provide a few reasons for that. That's a lot of bleed. Um, It is, it is a lot of bleed. But you know, if you if you think about it, the did you I I don't know if if the audience recognizes, but um the dominance was at 60% in April of 2021 at the opening, and by the close it was at 50% in one month. It went from 60 to 50 in one month, right? So if it can go down that quickly, it, it can also go up relatively quickly. A lot of times what happens when, when things break down is it'll actually sort of return back to where it previously was, right? So like you'll see it break down and then you'll see it sort of return back to where it previously was just before that breakdown point. And we've we've actually mm-hmm. seen that time and time again in, in various markets and in various, um, in, in, even in a lot of altcoins, right? Altcoins dropped in June. A lot of them sort of went back up to where they were and then they just sold off from there. There's other things we can look at as well that I'm not necessarily as as fond of. And maybe I'll talk about those in a second. But the reason why fundamentally I think it goes, the the dominance goes higher is because liquidity is being drained, right? And as long as liquidity is being drained, high risk flows to low risk and people sell alts for Bitcoin. And until a Fed pivot happens, we are just trending towards tighter and tighter monetary policy, right? And as long as that trend continues, why would we expect the dominance to top out? Think about last cycle. When did dominance top out? It happened in September of 2019. So I know there was a lot of people that were hoping that dominance would have already topped out because we're kind of at a at a similar point in the cycle, right? Like it's October of 2023. But I think what people should recognize is that when dominance topped out last cycle, it was after the Fed started cutting rates, right? So this orange line is the is the um, is the effective interest rate, mm. and you can see that the rates were already starting to go down. So dominance topped when we were heading towards looser monetary policy. We are not yet heading towards looser monetary policy, and so until that happens, I just I think the dominance will ultimately continue higher. There's one last thing I'd like to. I mean, I could talk about dominance all day, as you know. Uh, but but there's one there's uh, from a TA perspective for people that like TA. And I don't even know how much I, I sort of buy into the um to the fib stuff. But I mean, I, I think there is some some people that that find value in it. If you sort of look at the breakdown point uh, of the dominance last cycle and and sort of take this out, you can see that it retraced back to the 618, right? That's where Mm -hmm. dominance retraced back to, the 618. And would you care to guess, right, if you take the Fib retracement from this high here from the breakdown point, that 618 is at -hmm. 60%, right? It's at 60%. So I think the dominance is going to approximately 60%. It doesn't have to be exact. It could be 59. It could be 61 I don't know exactly, but I, I think it's heading that direction. And I don't think it's going to top out until close to a FED pivot.
0: All right. Let's talk about macro. So you keep using the word recession. Um, you say, you don't know if we, we are going to get a recession. Walk me through your macro thesis. Like, where are we on macro? Where are we, where are we heading? Yeah. What are the variables here?
1: Yeah, I mean I think the reason why it's at least worthwhile to at least be concerned about one is is there, you know, the the yield curve, right? So if we were to look at at the um the treasury yield curve, this basically shows us um, you know, various interest rates yeah. for various you know, timeframes. And, and you can see it's an inverted yield curve. And it, if you look at, at prior recessions, right, we had inverted yield curves before those prior recessions, right? Here's 2007. This was the yield curve. We know we got a recession. We had the financial crisis not too long after. If you go to the dot com crash, uh, before the dot com crash, we had an inverted yield curve. And then we got the recession, the dot com crash. And, and now we're looking at an inverted yield curve again. And the, 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 the spreads on this, right, if you look at treasury yield spread, so like the, the spread between the three month and the 10 year, has has actually been closing, um, but the reason it's been closing recently is not due to a bull steepener. So a bull steepener is when the Fed cuts rates, right? Yeah. If the bull if the, if the bull steepener happens, the Fed cuts rates and the short end uh, of the yield curve goes down. The reason uh, this time is at least so far is due to a bear steepener, where the long of the yield curve is going up. Because the 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 market is starting to price in a stronger economy, right? Or they're saying, "Oh, well, the economy is more resilient, the labor market's more resilient, it can handle these higher rates." I think the issue is that as the market actually begins finally pricing in higher for longer, that's going to lead to businesses recognizing that the cost of capital is a lot more expensive, and it's going to stay that way for a longer period of time. They're going to cut costs, and they're going to. It could lead to layoffs, right? That could eventually lead to layoffs, which could then lead to a bull steepener where the Fed cuts rates and we go into into a recession. again, it's anyone's guess as to when exactly that happens, but the the lag time on that from inversion of like let's say the two year and the ten year uh, can often be you know upwards of a year. and the, the the two year inverted the ten year back in you know in a sustained way back in July of 2022. So we're already more than a year out from that. I think we have just now entered the window. You know, starting maybe like last month and for maybe the next six to 12 months, where based on the historical record, a recession becomes increasingly likely.
0: Do you think the Fed has finished hiking rates? I mean, I'm looking at the charts here. There's a 96% chance of the probability that there's not, not going to be a rate hike here. Next meeting, 62% chance. Next meeting, 54% chance. It pretty much like the, the market's pretty much forecasting that the rate hike cycle is over. Um, one thing I will say is that they keep delaying when they think the first cut's gonna come. So, like they they originally thought the first cut was gonna come sometime around December. Obviously, that's not gonna happen. They're starting to price in higher for longer. So, I think first question is: Do you think the rate hikes? Do you think the rate hikes are finished, or do you think there's there's space for one more?
1: So, yeah, my view. I mean, I, I said this like a year and a half ago. <laughs> I thought the terminal rate would actually be five around five and a half percent, right? So that was my view, and the reason I thought I needed to go above inflation. Um, now that we're here, we, of course, have to sort of reassess, could they go higher? I think they could go higher, but I don't think they need to. I, I, think, I think policy is sufficiently restrictive at these levels. The main thing is there's two variables, right? It's not only where rates go, but it's how long do you hold rates at that level. So the harder part was, would be for them to hold them here for a long enough period of time. So I don't think the Fed needs to go higher. If they do, it would honestly, it would probably be viewed as a mistake. Um, and it could it could quickly break something uh, if they were to go any higher from where they currently are. I think where where they are at is fine. I think if they just simply hold here for a while, it will start to have a negative impact on on the economy. It doesn't mean that the S and P can't go up, right? I mean, it, you know, the S and P can certainly go higher, but it just means that those lag effects will slowly work their work their way through the economy. So I, I think the, the 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 question now is is how long they hold them here, and and my guess is. Um, they hold them here for, for at least a little while because unless unless there's like a 1987-style crash, I, I don't think they're going to pivot this year.
0: I, I agree with you. And I think there's also headwinds. I mean, I looked at this. The cost of shipping oil has uh, skyrocketed since the oil the Hamas war. I think we've got this Hamas war that's happened now. Oil prices are going up. Um, I think, let me just see if I can get a, a better oil chart over here. Um, I think oil was above $90 a barrel when I last checked. So you can see oil's going up. That's going to feed into inflation. I mean, there's no way that you can avoid the inflation cycle when, when oil's going up so steeply. Higher inflation, what does Powell do? Does he, you know, you've got, you've got quite a strong jobs market. We had jobs, jobs numbers out earlier this year. What does Powell do when he gets higher inflation? He's only got one tool, and that is to maybe tighten rates a little bit more, no?
1: Well, that's one tool. The other tool is they could, uh, they could reduce the size of their balance sheet even more. So, like, if we were to go look at at total you know total assets here held by by the Federal Reserve, I mean, you can see they've been reducing the size of their balance sheet. Um, And I mean, you know, where we were pre-pandemic, you can see that the balance sheet was. I mean, this is September 2019, 3.74 trillion. It's it's now at 7.95 trillion. It topped out at like 8.9 trillion. They could they could increase the pace of QT quantitative tightening. They could. Increase this pace, and uh, frankly, I don't know why they haven't increased the pace. I mean, they've only gotten us back to levels we were at back in the summer of 2021. They could easily increase this. I, I think that they have two. They have two separate tools here they could use. They could increase in- interest rates, but I don't really think they need to. I think what they should do is I, I think they should increase the pace of of QT, um, and and I think that would also be difficult for for risk assets. And and I mean, you, you, the other thing too, by the way, is is, is last cycle. If you think about where Bitcoin dominance topped, it topped what in September of 2019. Mm-hmm. That's that's basically exactly where the Fed started increasing their balance sheet. <laughs>
0: right? So increase the so, balance sheet of the Fed, people buy altcoins. I mean, that's a that's a it's a pretty exactly. simple it's pretty simple math. It's
1: a it's it's a drug for the for the for the risk assets, right? They they need QE. risky assets need quantitative easing to do well. Altcoins are the furthest along the risk curve. As long as, as long as the chart looks like this, the altcoin market is still likely going to bleed. It doesn't mean we can't have bear market rallies in the altcoin market like we've had for two years, but even the dot-com crash lasted two and a half years, and, and I think this thing could, could play out in a very similar manner. So I would, I would say, look, is, until this starts going back up, altcoins are going to remain high risk, um, and the, the only question is, is how long does it take for the Fed to break something? And, and you're right, Rand, if, if inflation sort of comes back and, and oil goes higher... Maybe they will just increase interest rates and, and, and hope that it, it doesn't break something. But I think they would run the risk of, of uh, causing more damage at that point.
0: Let me ask you a question. What can break? Like the banking system can't really break because they've basically insured all deposits so that they're not going to get any, any bank runs. What can break? Like I'm just trying to, like, I'm trying to look at all the different options of something that can break. And if, the, if they're going to insure yeah. depositors, the only thing they can break is, is bank equity. You know, I mean, and I don't think they care about equity holders. They've proven they don't care about equity holders. What else can break?
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, is normally what breaks is something that none of us are thinking about, right? Mm. Because the markets are really effective at pricing things in, right? I mean, not long ago, everyone was talking about commercial real estate and how that was really bad. But the thing is, is like, if it's obvious that something is breaking, the market's probably already like accounting for that. Um, mm. It's it's the things that you're not thinking about, and I mean. It could be. I mean, I it, mean, it, it. Well, I mean, first of all, it could be commercial real estate. It could be. It could be the banks. I mean, first of all, I know. If, I know things are FDIC insured, but I mean, at the same time, it's not like they have all this cash to support all the banks in America. If it's not like they have just cash just sitting on the sidelines, ready to ready to go bail everyone out. Uh, if something like that were to happen, so I, I don't even know if that if if we could necessarily count on that. Furthermore, the banking crisis that actually occurred. Um, in the financial crisis, it took a long time to play out before it was even obvious that there was a problem. There's actually kind of a a, a scary chart. And I'm not really, I mean, as as I've continued on, I've got, you know, become less reliant on analogs because oftentimes the analogs just sort of diverge at some point. But if you were to look at like the S&P 500 performance after inversion of the two year and the 10 year yield, this is what it looked like in the dot com, or sorry, in the financial crisis. Look how long the S&P trended up before it finally rolled over. I mean, this is mm. like, you know, 400 days. Now overlay the current <laughs> cycle. This is the current cycle, right? Mm. So, like, I don't even think, like, just because things haven't broken yet, it doesn't mean that they can't break, right? Wow. It just means that, yeah, like, it's kind of scary when you look at it like this, right? But again, yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think it'll play out in the same way. Um, I, I think what's more likely if, if the S&P does roll over, like, if we do get a recession, rather than something like this, I, I think the more likely scenario could be something like what happened um, during, the, uh, during the bear market from 1946 to 1949, which was during a period of high inflation. right? So like if you look at 1946 to 1949, that's what the S&P 500 looks like. Now compare it to today. right? So I think that this is potentially a more likely outcome than what we saw with the financial crisis. And the reason why is because during periods of high inflation, um, you, you just have a lot more liquidity, right? You just, there's more liquidity. There's a lot of money printing, there's more liquidity. And so perhaps the S and P 500, is not going to go down nearly as much as maybe it would during periods of, of lower liquidity? Um, so I I don't mean to like scare everyone without, you know, with that prior chart, but it it does go to show that like, you know, it takes a long time for the, for the interest rate hikes to really filter through to the economy. And there could be banks hurting right now,
0: I mean, and they might the, just be the banks. Are hurting. I mean, some of the banks reported earnings this week. I don't remember who it was. It may have been bank of America or something yeah. where they said they were, they had 135 billion in unrealized losses or something.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like imagine, imagine these banks continue along this route and the, the fed still hasn't pivoted six months from now. Right. I mean, like yeah. It, it, at some point, at some point something breaks, we just don't know. We just don't know what it is. And, and again, like there's always a possibility for a soft landing, I think the reason why a soft landing is 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 usually the 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 less likely scenario is because normally the Fed doesn't pivot until something bad happens. It's it, it, the Fed's a reactionary body, right? They're not going to say, "Hey, let's pivot now to make sure that nothing bad happens." They're going to just keep rates higher to make sure inflation goes down, and they're only going to pivot if something bad happens and they feel, you know, they feel like they have to
0: can't argue with can't argue with the logic because we don't we know we know exactly that they are a reactionary um organization. Ben, two more charts before I let you go. One is oil and the other one is gold. So oil, because we're entering this war or we're in we're in this war. Um sometimes the charts can tell us what's gonna happen next in 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 the world. Um you know, one of the big risks now is is the Hezbollah attack and then that potentially, you know. I'm not going to say you can call it a world war, but you know, it's, 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 it sounds a lot more like closer to a world war. What, what is the chart telling us about the price of oil?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not an expert on, on commodities by any stretch of the imagination, but I will say one thing about oil is that the, the cure for high oil prices is, it off, is often high oil prices. Normally, it's, it's a rally of oil that sort of brings the recession, it pulls recession risk forward. Like, if you think about when oil rallies, people feel like, you know, they, they don't travel as much, right? It reduces a lot of people's spending. It can lead into a recession. Mm. So when you get, I mean, like, look, look at what happened over here before the financial crisis. Look what oil was doing. It pulled recession risk forward. There was a crash. Oftentimes, you can see things like this where oil spikes just before a recession. You know, right now, I mean, I, I, I was very, I was bullish on oil, um, you know, uh, back up one of the reasons I turned bullish on it was because we were watching it go up and there was like no headlines, right? There was no real headlines mm. to you know why it should be going up, but it was going up nevertheless. So I think that this is a chart that Powell is probably not really thrilled about right now because it has been moving uh higher. We've had a lot of obviously there's a lot of geopolitical tension going on. This I you know I mean at this point, right, it's just a series of of higher highs and higher lows until proven otherwise. So this is a risk. Gold, um you know gold is is an asset here that has also been putting in higher lows for the most part for a while. I think gold I think things like gold, like hard assets, precious metals, but hard assets in general, you could make the case for Bitcoin, although it hasn't necessarily proven itself yet um in terms of how it might hold up in a longer recession. but I think you could make the case that as monetary policy becomes tighter and tighter, things you know harder assets. Like precious metals become more and more attractive, right? Um, and so just, gold just, seems like it's just a building up for something.
0: Just take me back to the Bitcoin chart. On your taking back to the Bitcoin chart in your thing, I just want to I want to just quickly ask you a question. So you have that little wick up. That little wick up was the announcement. That was the the Bitcoin announcement that uh, the Cointelegraph breaking the ETF announcement before before the ETF was launched, was fakely breaking it. Do you consider that a high high? Do you consider that little wick? That daily week, do you consider that putting in a, a, a higher high there?
1: Well, I mean, compared to the compared to co- this trend, compared to that, co-
0: okay. And yeah. compare, okay, and compared to the, uh, not compared to okay, yeah, not compare, not not compare that. Do you think that we get a, a Bitcoin ETF this year? And, and if you do, where do you think price goes when if an ETF is approved? Because I've seen That's reports, I've seen reports, I've seen reports like like some institutions will the. The reports or the analyses all say that institutions will start off by putting 1% of the investable capital into it. Now, you know, those are thumb sucks. And what is their investable capital and how many of them will actually do it? And so I've seen price forecast as high as $100,000 in the first year yep. when they put in the, 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 um, the 1% of their assets. So question, do you think we get an ETF this year? And if we do, kind of like, how do you see price playing out? And I know, it's, I know it's completely speculative and, and you know, now I'm taking you out of your domain of charts and, and stuff like that, but just keen to hear your view.
1: I mean, the, the, the short answer is I don't know, honestly. I mean, I, I, people have been talking about Spot ETS forever. I think there's a chance it gets approved this year. There's also a the chance it doesn't get approved till next year. I think there's also a chance that people view you know what happened recently as like just more evidence of you know, fraud and manipulation in the space that you get a, a move of 7% on, the, on, on fake news. Um, I think if if a spot ETF were approved, I imagine it would lead to some new money coming into the space. Like I, I don't think that we can necessarily question that. It would lead to some new money coming into the space. I think the bigger issue is does it lead to a longer term, a longer term bull run that takes us to new highs or not? Right. Like there's always a, a, a case to be made that Bitcoin takes out this prior high over here, right? It is possible that it happens. Um, and if it does, and let's say it does it on the back of, of a spot ETF being approved or something. And and we see Bitcoin, you know, above those prior highs. I think the bigger question is is like, well, after that money comes in, after the initial burst of money comes in, then what, right? Like, then what? Then what happens if if then a recession hits, you know? Mm. So or, or what happens if the Fed still hasn't pivoted and we're still going to tighter and tighter monetary policy? I just I don't. For me, when I, when I see Bitcoin, it's mostly existed during a period of QE and low interest rates, right? And, and I think it's more, evidence, more evident than the altcoin market that the altcoin market is really struggling right now. Bitcoin has not been, right? But I think the reason is because alts are bleeding back to Bitcoin again. So if, if a spot ETF is approved, I imagine in the short term, it would lead to a surge in price, just like we saw it happen, right? Mm. A few days ago when people thought it was going to be approved. I think the bigger mm. question is, well, what happens a month or two after that, after the market has digested that move, and the macro is still trending in the wrong direction, mm. okay? So I think that's my bigger concern right now. By the way, you could have a scenario. Um, like, do you remember last cycle? I, I mean, I know you do. I mean, I know you were, you were, you were in, in crypto last cycle. You were in crypto the cycle before that. But last cycle, we had this sort of long wick to the upside in October of 2019. You see that, that wick? Yes. And, and then we sort of just slowly fell back down. We then put in a, we, we took out that low, right? We took out the, these prior lows. You can see it was a very similar setup um as as last cycle where we had this june low the difference though is last cycle we actually did slowly go we did slightly go below that level but we had this major wick to the upside in october and then bitcoin fell over in in november so if again the, the the data it's not going to play out in the exact same way but you can imagine if it did that the narrative would basically write itself right like imagine last cycle were this cycle right like so you get your your, your fake etf news You, you, it eventually rolls over and sells off because it wasn't real. Then you get the real ETF news in the halving year. We go back up, back up to this level where the wick went to when people thought it was real and it wasn't. And then a recession hits and then we put in another low, right? Like, Uh, like it it, it amazes
0: me how well, you know, your charts. It amazes me how well, you know, your charts and your wicks and your time periods. And it amazes me how similar the cycle's playing out, even though I've, I've been a skeptic of the Harvey theory for what, I'm, for what I said to you, right? Like it's...
1: Right, it... Look, Rand, I think, it's, I, I think it's, you're, it's smart for you to be a skeptic of of that stuff because, look, markets play out different ways, right? I mean, like, mm. think about like post, post-election post years, like, like, you know, like two, 2001, um, um, a lot of these other years, like 2017, 2021, a lot of times the stock market does well in post-election years, right? The market trends higher. But then think about what happened in two thousand and one. We had a recession, right? Like so, mm. there, there can be general trends that occur, but if you get a recession, you know you can basically throw all that out the window, yeah. And and the the recession sort of takes over. So I, I think it I, I think it definitely makes sense for you to be for you to be skeptical.
0: Amazing, Ben. Listen, it's been absolutely amazing having you back on Banter. I mean, geez, the the amount of alpha and the the way that you know your charts is I mean unparalleled. Seriously, I think you're the master. Um, guys, just remember if you guys want to use the same tools that Ben's using. There's a link below to Into the Cryptoverse. Go and check it out. I, I use it. It's absolutely amazing. It's become one of my... You've seen it on my show. It's actually become one of my staples. You know, I've got it open, got it open right here. I use, it all, I use it all the time. So if you guys want it, go and check it out. They've got multiple subscription plans. I think it is one of the most powerful tools that you can actually get. Ben, thank you so much, my friend. Much yeah, appreciated.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Great. So, so good to have him on here. So good to get him on and just to... sure. I need a dose of of Ben Kahn every, every, I don't know, every couple of months, every couple of months. A couple of things. So first of all, remember that we have the Bitcoin, win a Bitcoin competition. If you want to win a Bitcoin, this is how it works. From now, I want you guys in the comments to tell me what you think Bitcoin is going to be at the end of the year. Uh, Sorry, at the beginning of the new year, Eastern time, we said what the price is going to be on Coinbase. Go to the most accurate price and remember, you must have a Bybit account unless you're in the UK or Canada, in which case you can have a BitGet account. And if you're in the US, you have got to have a CoinW account. Do that, tell me what it is, and you can win half a Bitcoin. And if you've put 10 trades through on your exchange between now and the end of the year, then you double it and you actually make it one Bitcoin. Also, I wanna just remind you guys again that these shows are brought to you by NordVPN. Now, you saw what happened earlier this week. We had, I mean, the Phantom Foundation were, were, were hacked and they lost, I don't remember the exact number. Let's see if I've actually got it here. They lost, I think, $550,000 in phantom. Now, that could have been avoided if they just had threat protection. So you would have paid $2 a month to save yourself from potentially getting hacked for $550,000 in phantom. Guys, please secure. I don't, I don't mind if you don't use NordVPN, but just please use a threat protection. Use a VPN, and if you want to support us, get NordVPN. It costs you exactly... I think it costs less than $3 a month. And then the threat protection costs another $3 a month. $6 a month to support the channel and protect your crypto. Um, One last thing. Last thing. Don't forget if you want to bet on the... the, the football this weekend, the soccer. I'm going to take a bet on Chelsea, Arsenal. I'm not exactly sure what the bet's going to be. You can do it on betswap.gg and you can do it using your crypto and your wife won't even know because it doesn't come off your credit card. So I'll see you guys again on Monday or I'll be on the weekend if anything else happens. Otherwise, until then, trade well, my friends.